Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hadrico Live. I'm your host, Hadrico, and tonight we have one of the top 10 rated and booked speakers in the U.S. He's an author, he's a podcaster, he loves music. Ladies and gentlemen, we sit down with Jim Knight, and he's going to talk to us about culture that rocks. So sit down, get your guitars ready, and let's get ready to rock out and see what Jim Knight has to say. Because Hadrico Live starts now. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hadrico Live, and we're going to rock out tonight, ladies and gentlemen. We are bringing you a guest that is going to rock the house like no other. I, I mean, the accolades, are the, they're endless, man. One of the top 10 rated and booked speakers in the U.S., ladies and gentlemen. If I had a drum, I would be playing it. Drum roll, please. The one, the only, Jim Knight. Jim, how you doing this evening, sir? Man, I am doing great. If I, I can't get any better, and honestly, I'm just so thrilled and honored, my friend, to be on your show. I know that you uh, you've been doing this now for a couple months, and I'm just I'm honored to be one of the first ones on. Listen, so man, thank you. You've made it now. Now you listen. Your bucket list is officially yes. complete. You've made it <laughs> onto Hadrico Live. This was the last one. This was it. This was my bucket list completion. Boom. I'm, gl I'm glad I'll be able to help you make that dream happen. So, Jim, you got so many areas that we want to get into, man. But you know what? I'm going to dive right in because I think sometimes people want to get right down to the meat potatoes. Yeah. Now, right. we all we live in a world where everybody sees with their eyes. So when people see you, Jim, they see the hair, which is impressive, by the way. I must admit, you know, the way you keep it standing at this hour of the night is impressive. And they hear about your books because you have a great book, Culture That Rocks. Now you have another book that's pending leadership that rocks. You know, they know you have a podcast going on. But what most people don't know, man, you started out working in the Gatorland Zoo. I did. I did. Yes. You have to explain to me how you went from the zoo to being one of the top rated speakers, please, how did this journey happen? Well, I kind of feel like I'm still in the zoo half the time. <laughs> Honestly, you know, in my hometown, I live in Central Florida. So it is definitely the land of theme parks. And of course, everybody thinks of Disney, they think of Universal, they think of SeaWorld. I think last time I checked, there's something like 25 different types of theme parks around here. And my first gig when I was just a teenager, I think I was 15 years old was working at Gatorland Zoo, which if anybody's ever been to Central Florida and they're looking for something to do a half a day, you can see the whole thing. It's a pretty good value, but it's a working alligator farm. So, you know, I would do things like uh, sell frozen fish to people and they would feed the alligators. I drove a, a little miniature train all around the thing with the, uh, see you later alligator, had like a whole <laughs> song with it. I worked in a snack bar where I ate alligator meat every single day that I worked there. Um, and then I worked in the uh, in the photo area, which is pretty cool. I got to go and jump into a little uh, alligator pen where I had to get these baby alligators to put uh, duct tape around their mouth so that you could hold on to it. And then I had to go into the big uh, boa constrictor area, get one of the snakes so that you can put it around your neck. And we would take pictures and sell those for like five dollars back then. So it, it, was, it was a racket, man. I absolutely loved it. Um, and it was really kind of my my first foray, I would say, in hospitality. I mean, that's um, 
that's really my background was working in food and beverage. And if I hadn't worked at Gatorland Zoo, I don't know if I'd be where I am today. So it is fun to look at and laugh, but I can tell you, I had a lot of fun doing it. But now, now this is the true example of you started out somewhere, but you never let your situation stop you from inspiring to more. You said in the hospitality, then you went from there, you moved over to hard rock and then you started off as a job, but then you took a job and you turned it into a career. But then you said, no, I'm not going to stop there. You moved it into a franchise, not only a franchise. Ladies and gentlemen, this young man has a training course that is rated one of the top 125 training courses available in the world. Not in the, not in the city, in yeah. the world, Craig. So yep. tell me, I tell my viewers or my listeners, anybody who out there, I believe it's called a certified rock star. What, what What is that? What is it called? What does it mean to be a certified rock star? Yeah. So certified rock star is what I call my own program. Now I have a business partner named Brant Menswar um, and he and I created that. But, you know, the, the first accolade really came when I was working at Hard Rock. So a lot of people might know me through that venue. I worked for Hard Rock for 21 years, 18 of those I ran training and development. So I got a chance to open up hotels and casinos and restaurants all over the planet. But even before that, it, it is funny because I do have a little bit of a long and winding road with my career. You started Gatorland. I went to college to be a musician mm -hmm. and I do have my music degree, but I found out that, you know, to really make a living at that, to, to really do that right, you had to be good. Um, so I changed careers because I was not that great of a singer. Um, I became a middle school teacher. I did that for six years. I loved it. And, and just like the Gatorland Zoo, I took a summer job at Hard Rock and just fell in love with the culture and the people and some of the most interesting humans I'd ever seen on the planet. And it, that was my life for 21 years. So it was there that I really got that rating. And it was really because of my team. They were so awesome. We had become known in sort of the training and development world. And we got that 125 rating, which was awesome. But I just use that to perpetuate when I left there in 2012, when I retired from corporate life to do my own thing, like you're now getting a chance to do. That's where we created Certified Rockstar. So, you know, that's just sort of a history lesson. I think Certified Rockstar is really, it starts off as a term, right? You want you want to be around people that are iconic. You want the, the top level. When I say Certified Rockstars, when I even use the word Rockstar, it means top talent. Whatever you want to think about when it comes to the best employees you can find, that's what that terminology is. The certified part is where Brand and I sort of put our own stamp on things. And we like to have them go through our programs, whether it's a keynote or one of our half day or full day or, or multi-day masterminds. When you go through these things and we can help leaders be better at really identifying where those rock stars are and how do you love on them and keep them, that's when you're called certified. We do give you like a little certificate. You get to run off and say, I'm a certified rock star. Yeah. It's really more of a moniker. And if you, you know, you already know, Trevor, for me, I'm always trying to think, where can I use some rock and roll analogies? I do a lot of band and brand analogies. I do a lot of music orientation. That's how my books are. Our podcasts are like that. So, you know, we couldn't just come up with you know, leadership 101 is the name of our course. It had to be certified rock star. So that's the mindset. So, you know, one thing that I noticed when, as I listened to that story is talent management and talent, being able to identify talent. How key is that when you go, when you start getting into these leadership roles and you start building teams, how key is it to learn how to identify that person or those people who are going to help push your team to that next level? Yeah. Mission number one. 
So, you know, one of the things I talk about in my upcoming book, but I've been doing this for years, I, I think leaders have focused so much on the tactics, the nuts and the bolts, the practical, tactical, how do I get things done? They, they work on these strategic plans, and there is definitely something to be said about creating a great strategy and ultimately just getting about it, attacking it, you've got to execute. But now I'm starting to shift more organizations, or at least I'm trying to be a catalyst to do that, to move from strategy-based to more culture-centric. And for me, that definition of culture, which we can talk about as well, it is always going to be about the people. So your question is really, where do you go find these rock stars? Like they're out there. We know that. And, and, and I used to have a consulting company where I would have people tell me all the time, oh, there's no good talent out there anymore. Yeah, there is. Somebody else has got them and you're going to have to work harder. You're going to have to mine for them. You're going to have to do some things to get them to fall madly in love with you to come work for you. It's not easy anymore. You can't just sit at the front door and wait for somebody to put in an application or a resume or a CV in Europe, right? You actually have to go and hump them down. So for me, my whole world, my, my parallel universe is below the surface. It's all about the humans. It's not about the things that I do for the customer, the guests, the, the end user. Like I know that's an awesome end result. Mm -hmm. Where does it all start? It's human behaviors. So when I use the word rock stars, I am hunting all day long. Where are these awesome people? Where do they live? Where do they work? Where do they hang out? How can I get them to come work for me? So, you know, if you think about the employee life cycle, and here's sort of the way I'll end the, the, the answer. I think about everything that a, that a team member will go through. So I go, how am I going to recruit, interview, hire, train, develop, reward, communicate, get them to stay with me, retain them, even the way that we separate, even if they leave me, I want them to think back on the brand and go, that was a pretty awesome use of my time. I love that company. There are things that you can put into place in every areas of those employee life cycles. So your question is really on the front end. It is mission number one. As good of a training guy as I thought I was, if I was really serious about making a huge difference in the company and I had a time machine, I'd go back to be a recruiter. Because I feel like all the best training in the world isn't going to help a bad hire. If you could have gotten that right on the front end, man, it solves so many problems for the management and the leadership, honestly. So your question is very valid. I think it's mission number one. And for those people that say, I don't have time to do it, it just depends on how much turnover you're willing to let happen. How many people do you want coming and going? How many wrong hires are you going to allow? You want to fix the bleeding? You got to start on the front end. You definitely have to start on the front end because when you get the yep. right person, the turnover, it, it happens less because people are more yes. bought it into the system. They want to be a part of what you're doing. But when you just hire somebody who needs a job instead of somebody who wants a career, I tell you what, you're going to keep replacing that person time and time again. Over and over and over again. You got it. Now, yeah. you know, we're we going we, to we'll come back to the culture. But we're okay. gonna, we gonna help. Right. We're gonna help everybody because you know you're going everywhere. I, I like and it, and that's I like how it. I roll. You know, I just I, I keep the thing flowing. Now, people in this world have a lot of fears. Some people are afraid of of clowns. Some people are afraid of frogs, and that's a real thing that people it are is. afraid of frogs out there. But one thing that most people are afraid of is public speaking. Now, you're a speaker. You have spoken all over the country, man. You and I can't even count how many speaking engagements that you've had. So it's pretty evident. You have mastered the art of public speaking. So how would you help or what advice would you give to someone who struggles with public speaking and trying to get outside of that box? Yeah, you're right. More than insects or height or bugs or snakes or whatever it is, it is the number one fear of all people. So 
if people are scared to death of speaking first right out of the gate, you got to know you're in the same boat as everybody else. So you start with that and go, it is a real thing and it's the number one thing. But there are things that you can do to get over it. And so even you and I have talked about this before. Mm-hmm. I, I The way that I am now did not just happen by accident. It started with my love of wanting to perform. I did a bunch of community theater. When you're a music major, you have to sing in front of people. When you're a teacher, you have to speak in front of people. When you're running training and development, you're leading groups, right? So my skills just got better and better and better. But at some point when you go, I think I want to make a run at this and be a public speaker, a keynote speaker, you almost have to make sure that you're doing what I did and truncating it down because someone will come to me and they've never done it before. And they go, how do I do what you do? I want to do what you do for a living. Facts. Okay. That's a big start. It's a long, it's a long runway, but you can't do it. So I, I would say maybe the first thing I would recommend is you got to take a course. There's a lot of companies out there that will provide, it might be a one day, it might be a multi-day, take a course that actually gives you some information. But here's the kicker on these. I'm begging everybody. You can't just go for the information and the knowledge. If somebody's going to be up there yakking and they got a flip chart, they got a PowerPoint and that's it, it's not enough. You need to take some course that has a lot of exercises, a lot of participatory things in nature. You might actually do a little bit of a mini speech in front of other people, you know, that, and that's fearful. It, it, you got to get past that, that fear factor at some point. There's no better way to grow your skill set than actually doing. So I would say, number one, take a course. The other one is no matter how good you think you are, or bad you are, you got to practice, 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 practice. I could talk about it all day, but until you start figuring out how can I do this in front of people? How do I ever get over the fear if I don't get out there and try it? So it's looking for every opportunity. I'm not even talking about making money yet. I say volunteer for everything, church, rotary club, boys and girls club, your friend, somebody is asking you for a favor. The answer is yes. You start looking for every opportunity so that you can get your sea legs, you get more comfortable. So once you get a topic, once you've got some ideas that you think you can put into place, I don't care if it's a storytelling and you just want to talk for 30 minutes or you want to get fancy and use a PowerPoint or a keynote or flip chart, doesn't matter to me. You've got to get in front of human beings and practice. And at some point, you're going to start figuring out what works, what doesn't work, and you will get better. It takes time. You can't just do it overnight. I am not the way that I am because it just magically appeared. It's a lot of hard work. It is, but I love it. And now I'm going to do this, hopefully, the rest of my life. That's what I'm talking about. You know, that's, that is something that we have to look at. You can't just say, I'm going to wake up and be like Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan t- took a lot of jump shots. I, I want to wake up and be like Hadrico. You can by subscribing. That's the first step. So if you haven't subscribed to the channel, here's the plug. But you should. That's it. I they, love that plug. See, see it's funny that. that you mentioned uh, MJ, too, because I actually write about Kobe. Of course, he's pretty fresh in our, our mm-hmm. minds with his passing this last year. But I write about his work ethic as well. And I think he's probably rivaling, if not a little bit more than, than Michael Jordan's. The stories that came out during and and around his funeral are just unparalleled. And I was so happy to just put a little bit of that in there because I do talk about work ethic. So Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, those are, you want to, you want to talk about work ethic, you know, these are people that you can aspire to be like. Man, you, be like you are definitely correct, man. The mamba mentality is real. I mean, you hear some of those stories. You, you can't even imagine just how serious these people are about your craft. But you have to get that serious about it if this is something that you want to do. If you want right. to get into that public speaking. So let's we're going, we'll transition back. I just really, really want to get that public speaking part out because a lot of people do struggle with that. And so having that piece of advice, hopefully you guys got something from that that you can use. Now, 
You are a best-selling author. Now, a lot of people can say they're author, but they ain't a best-selling author. That means a lot of people buying the book. You know that one. I got a Coach copy you. of it right here. Boom. Somebody there, that wants it. There you, uh-oh, y'all, yeah, listen. Y'all hear that? So if somebody that wants it, we'll get you taken care of. Culture that rocks. Why and how can this revolutionize somebody's company? Why do people need to get this book? Yeah, you know, I think, well, I told you how much I loved hard rock. And, and now I guess I've just fallen in love with cultures. So the fact that I get to talk about it and, and interview people and obviously write about it, I am on the hunt looking for the great company cultures out there. And, and maybe to take a step back, when I was working for Hard Rock, you know, I was also probably the culture guys, probably what they considered me. I do know that there are times that I tried to throw down the culture card and say, geez, we ought to do this CEO because it would be cool and fun and whatever. And they would laugh you out of the room. You can't, you can't pull that card. You can't talk about that if it's not tied to business results, if it's not tied to the ultimate company strategy. So I learned that maybe the hard way a couple of times, but now, you know, it is still quite the buzzword. And I know Merriam-Webster put the word culture in their dictionary about four years ago. It was a word of the year for them. And I think there are way too many examples. I could start rattling off some awesome, unbelievable cultures that because they focus on the people and the internal culture, it's no reason that their results are so fantastic. So I think so many CEOs that forever we're just sort of poo-pooing it. They would laugh about it. It just wasn't that big a deal. It was about money and profits and, and muscling the result. I think they think differently about it. So many are, are, in my mind, I think, starting to come around on that. So I think that the de definition for me is about uh, having a collection of the right people. So I talked about these rock stars. And, and really, that's what culture is. I, I know that people will tell me it's a litany of things. And if I asked you, and if your audience started using the chat function and said, I think it's this, I think it's this. I would agree with everybody. I am in the, uh, the everything is culture camp, but you can't work on everything. And at the end of the day, everything's predicated on the humans actually doing the work. So mm -hmm. whoever's working in the company at that time, that is the culture. And every time somebody leaves or joins the organization, the culture changes immediately. So if I'm a guy who's been here, I don't know, three, four weeks and I leave, I still made a debt in the culture, probably negatively if it was short, <laughs> right? But if I'm the president or the CEO or the founder, if I'm the guy or girl who started the thing and I leave, oh my gosh, now there's massive changes, massive sweeping impact and influence. And, and by the way, the girl or guy that's going to take over for that person, they're going to change things the way that they want to. And then more people will come and go. So my, my whole point on this is you want to talk about revolutionizing the company culture. The book has a lot of chapters in there. It's going to tell you things around technology and that employee life cycle that I talked about before and philanthropy. And there's a little bit on leadership. There's a couple on customer service. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could use all those as a blueprint. But the real crux, the real pillar of that book, and just about any of my culture programs, you get the right people on board, you'll have the exact culture that you want. So you can look around and if there's a couple that you're like head scratching, they shouldn't be here or how do they get through? I'm not saying go out there and take people's jobs away from them. You know, that sucks. But the next time somebody leaves, you got to stop the bleeding. You've got to upgrade. You got to leave that position open. Just suck it up. Leave it open a little bit longer to go find some rock stars. You get back to getting the right culture that you want. So, you know, again, I'm very thankful that culture is still quite popular these days, but I am all about trying to get people to understand it's about the human beings. You do that, you get the right culture. Now I'm going to throw a curveball at you. And I didn't even, now this, not, you know, we always try to have prep, but this one is a curveball. Yeah. 
What happens when you have a person and you can't necessarily change that person? So, for example, yeah. sometimes in a military situation, when I get yeah. somebody new, this person's in my unit for a period of time. Or when you become a civilian, Bob, who's been working here, this is his job and he ain't leaving for umpteenth years. Whether he has the right mindset for that right culture, that may may be up for debate. What happens when everybody's not online? How do you manipulate or change the culture when you are, I won't say stuck, but for lack of better words, are stuck with that person? Yeah, so the military is a great example. Um, And I would say that a question like that is probably my number one question. Uh, You know, and a lot of people will say, I'm a middle manager. I'm a new manager. I barely have any responsibilities. Are you kidding me? How can I make a dent in the culture? You take the military as an example, because there's not really a a recruiting system that you have any control over in any way, shape or form. People are doing it on their own. This is why we have a voluntary military, right? So it's a little bit of an issue. But, you know, if, if this person was a slacker, if this person didn't fit, if they're a problem child, the first thing I'm doing, if I'm a rock star, if I'm already here and you put that person in front of me, Of course, I'm looking at them like, are you kidding me? This is what we get. But you know what I'm doing right behind that? Now I'm questioning the boss. I'm questioning the leader. Who, who, who's making that decision? So for me, if I, if there's too many of these people around me, I start walking around with a mopey face. It will affect me because now I'm picking up everybody else's slack. They don't even act like us, look like us, behave like us. They don't have the same values. It will affect me at some point. But in lieu of that, by the way, I've worked in not in, in military. You know, th- this hair won't fit in the military <laughs> anywhere. But I've worked in some some you know top down structure where I had no say so or control. I just go around those people. I just figure out a way to make them obsolete. I go out there and crush my regular responsibilities. You know what happens at some point? You get recognized for the W. You get recognized for the cool things that you're doing. You keep your head. You've got humility. People see the leadership in you, and you know exactly what happens. At some point, you get promoted. Now you are over those people. Now you do have responsibility. And whether that means you immediately take them out or you see a diamond in the rough and you can work with them. Maybe they were a problem before, but maybe they've matured. Maybe they've got something special that you can work with. But when you're in a leadership role, you obviously can make more decisions. So I I would bet that this happens in the military all the time. It just is because you have a bunch of volunteers working for you. But in lieu of them, in lieu of leadership, you've got to lead. And don't let anybody else affect you. You know, you carry, you know, I, I carry my own weather on the inside. I don't care what it's like outside. I don't care, honestly, to some degree. Now, this might be a little bit controversial. I don't care who my boss is. Like, I, I, I get, I've got a boss. I've got a supervisor. I'm going to do exactly what she or he says. But at some point, I'm going to go and do the things that I want to do within my value, within the system, as long as I'm not getting in mm-hmm. trouble or getting us fired or putting one of us in jail or something like that. But at some point, that person's not going to be here anymore if I'm all in in the company and I will get promoted. That's how my mind thinks. So I, I do think there's probably some toughness. There's some tough love for some people working right beside me. Just make them obsolete, you know, or if you really have a leadership mindset and you think you can work with them, see if you can't do some peer development. That would be actually pretty cool too. And you know what? I'll tell you something else that does happen in that situation. When you start doing the things you just mentioned, when you start just saying, I'm going to lead and I'm going to drive and I'm going to push from within, Sometimes they don't have no choice. You know, basically what you do is when you make that change, people have to pick up. People have to realize either you're going to come down and get what the mediocrity is no longer going to be accepted around here. And we have right. to step our level up and we have to move, move into the right direction. Yeah, they'll get voted off the island. Uh, you know, it's 
I have seen leaders that will read a book, they will go to a conference, they'll listen to a podcast, and then they want to come back and try and change everything. Those individuals could draw a line in the sand and say, listen, everybody's got amnesty here, but in three months, we are elevating things. We're mm-hmm. going to elevate it and everybody's got to be in or they're going to be out. Now, I don't, I don't like talking in those hardcore in or out terms, but if somebody really needed to make some difference, you don't have to come in swinging a heavy stick. You could give people a little bit of a reprieve, but I love your approach because I do think at some point, everybody around here is going to rally together and just like Survivor, like you said, they'll vote you off the island. I mean, eventually it will happen. Now, just like with voting, sometimes people progress. Now, you didn't just stop at Culture That Rocks. Now, you have a new book coming out, yes. Leadership That Rocks. Let's t- tell my listeners, all my people who love to read, what can we expect in Leadership That Rocks that th- that's different than Culture That Rocks? Yeah, so I, I, I probably thought that I had one book in me. I, I put everything into this. It's a, it's a color book. It's hardcover. You know, but this is like eight years old, and I feel like it still resonates with people. But there are a few things in there where it dates, you know, that I, I think the timing that I was writing it. What I discovered is that there are probably some key pillars in there. And I've had some people say, listen, your book is a little bit too dense, meaning you talk a little bit about hard rock, you have a little bit about some autobiographical stuff. But I see this as culture, leadership, employee engagement, service. Like there's big chunks in there. You ought to be writing smaller books. And so what I'm basically doing is I'm deconstructing that book to make smaller, thinner, black and white, cheaper books for people. So, you know, if I get a a speaking engagement, somebody wants me to just talk about leadership, they'll get one that's probably half the cost if they want the leadership that rocks book. But it gives me an opportunity to to make a little bit more relevance, to make it a little bit more evergreen, to have updated case studies. Some of these brands that I talked about earlier, where I've just fallen in love with, especially their culture, I get a chance to put them in the book now. So that's really what it's about. I'm going to have three books, three consecutive years, Leadership That Rocks this year. I'll have Service That Rocks uh, the next year, and then Employee Engagement That Rocks the year after that. And really, it, it, it is a little bit of an expansion on leadership. It's still centered a little bit around culture. How do you lead? How do you maintain? How do you amp up? Or the word you used earlier, how do you revolutionize the culture? And so I'm going to use some pretty big uh, daring themes like inspiring others and work ethic, like we talked about earlier. It could be around humility or how to bring the thunder or how to treat employees, you know, mentorship, not, not just mentoring other people, but having some mentors, like three, four, five people in your inner circle. These are things that I did not get a chance to explore in that first book. So each of these books each year are going to be a lot thinner, a lot easier to read. It is written for beginning and up and coming leaders, probably more than anything else. I don't know that it's necessarily for you know, entrepreneurs or CEOs, but I hope that they read it and want to put it out there in the hands of other people. So I actually have a customized uh, Air Force version that I'm going to be sending at some point in case that's something that they want to do. Listen, man, I'll make sure I give you my address. You know, I want to, I need to get a copy of all this good stuff, man. Good things coming, great books coming down the road. And I know it's going to be great material. Um, Now, I would be remiss if I didn't say, man, Chief Riley wanted me to tell you hello. You know, I had to make sure I put that in there. You know, she's doing big things in New Jersey. She's doing big things up there. Now she's, she's fantastic. She is. Thank she you. does. She does great things. Now you and your partner Brent, you guys have a podcast that's called Thoughts That Rock. Yes. Now, what's the premise of this podcast? Because I know all good podcast listeners love one thing they love is 
more great podcasts. So I'm willing to share listeners. I'm willing to share the love. So tell my people, what what is Thoughts That Rock's all about? Yeah. You, know, you notice I've used every iteration of the word rock and rock and roll. Like everything Let's is, do it. is music oriented. So Thoughts That Rock. I'll tell you something real interesting real quick. First, about two years ago when we started, there were at that time 750,000 unique podcasts in the world. And we had heard that the year before there were only 500,000. So it had grown exponentially. Today, two years later, there's two and a half million unique podcasts. So certainly because of the pandemic, I think a lot of people started growing their own shows. We've been very lucky because uh, Brant and I both are speakers. We're both authors. We were looking for a platform to really interview great guests. But here's the premise. We only really ask two questions. What's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? And how did that change your life? And that's it. These two questions that we ask, you know, if the person wants to talk about their business or they want to talk about the thing that they sell, or we want to go back into their history, or if it's a celebrity, we'll talk about anything that they want to talk about. But really our audience now is used to just hearing these great pieces of advice. So they will provide one. We provide a corresponding thought that we think is pretty close or interesting, or maybe takes it to a different level. And that's it. So it's two pieces of advice within 30 minutes. And honestly, we, we've just had a great following. A lot of people were starting to get bigger names. Although I got to be honest with you, sometimes my friends next door and buddies that you wouldn't even know, they're sometimes the best guests. It is Mm -hmm. about who is compelling and really serves the audience. So, you know, we're a little bit different than a lot of other podcasts where they might go into a lot of deep dive in their history an hour, hour and a half long. That's not us. We're in to get in, get out best piece of advice. And that's it. You know what? And I think sometimes in the world that we live in, I need it. I need chop it up. Give me what I need and let me, let me get going about my day. So I, I love it. And if you exactly. guys haven't checked it out, it's definitely, they've had a, a star studded cast that their biggest star hasn't came on yet, but don't worry. Guys, don't worry. He's coming on there. I wanted to wait till I was on his show <laughs> first before I, we invited I, him. All yeah. good. All good. All good. No. So you know what? They say copying is the biggest form of flattery that you can have. So I'm going to try something. If you don't mind, for my listeners, how about you give us a thought that rocks for today? Let's see. Let's see how this works. How about a thought that rocks for Hadrico Live? Well, you know, I I will give you my I'll give you my biggest one. I've got a couple thoughts out there, but probably the one that resonates with me the most. And, And I bet you this won't surprise anybody now that we've been talking about this stuff for about 30 minutes. Here's my quote. I think a single person with a great idea can start a cultural revolution, mm. you know? And I think, again, this might be for the brand new manager. It might be for a leader who's been doing this for a while. It might be a staff member, somebody who's just at the lowest level. They're just coming in. If they've got great ideas and they can share that, you know, th- this is how, you know, philanthropic movements are started. This is how countries are overthrown. This is how, in my mind, businesses get to the next level. So although I talk a lot about culture and leadership and all those things, it really comes down again to human behavior. Single person with a great idea can start a cultural revolution. Boom. That's a thought right there. <laughs> oh, now, oh. now, we talked about leadership and culture, but, you know, leadership is something I think we all need. In your yeah. opinion, what are five things that all leaders should have to be effective within their company and organization? Five? Uh, boy, that's, yeah, that's a lot. I, you know, I would say probably mission number one, if I was a leader, is just to be patient with some really good listening skills. You know, I, I think we, um, we're, we're just not taught how to listen. 
you know, think about when you were in grade school or even in high school, college, it doesn't matter. We probably all took some sort of grammar writing courses. That's a form of communication. We've all taken some type of speech speaking, even though we talked about that earlier, it doesn't translate to a lot of people, but we have been taught that. Where are the listening courses? Mm. Where, where are we taught that? So if you didn't get that from your parents, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm a huge believer in human behavior. You learn everything. You learn everything from your parents, your friends, the playground, religion, lack of religion, school, whatever it is. By the time you're going to be a team member or ultimately a leader, you are the way you are because of your background. So listening is just not one of these things that, that, that we're taught. And I think team members probably more than ever today, they need to be heard. They, mm-hmm. they need to have a voice. They've got to vent every once in a while. And, and you want them to come vent and talk and scream at you as a leader versus them taking it out on team members or the end user, the customer, the client, whoever that is. So Definitely. I think being patient with some, some keen listening skills, I think would be great. I think another one, a, a second one would maybe be great decision-making, um, particularly in the moment. You know, I, I have seen people that just lose their stack. They, they just lose it whenever there's any type of a drama. Things don't go the way things were supposed to go, whether it's a shift or the week or their business or whatever it is. The ones that stayed calm and collected and, and weighed all their options before they made the decision, and it might be a day later, a week later, but they really molded over. These are people that get credit for really, you know, and I'm not saying you you can't have a sense of urgency and be quick about stuff. You can. I just think decision making, uh, if you really are thoughtful about it, I think these leaders probably get credit and we need that today. I talk about humility in the book. I think humility where you can see all points of view. You might even be willing to have your mind changed. You're not necessarily always out there barking out things. I think some of the best leaders I've ever had didn't say a lot in a meeting, but oh, when they talked, you know. that carried a lot of heft. It carried a lot of weight. So I think we probably need a little bit more humility than ever before. And, and I know that's a little bit contrary. I said earlier, I'm using the language, bring the thunder. There's, it's a balance, right? There's a time to bring the heavy stick and make things happen. And other times you just sort of need to sit back and let things happen. I don't know what number that is, but I, I think having the ability to say no. So even though you think that's an easy thing, it's not. There are some people that are just, they're so customer centric. They're so employee centric that they'll say yes to everything. And then they put themselves in the ditch at the expense of their own value. So you got to learn to say no to the things that will distract from the business, but yes to the things that will be easy, quick, low hanging fruit wins for the team members. Anytime I can make people's lives better, I'm all about that. But if it's going to detract me from doing that on a grander scale, it's got to be a hard pass for me because it'll just, it'll gobble and, and monopolize my time. And maybe the last one, if I'm at five, I don't know. I might this be is six. Five. No, sure this is five. This is and it's five. Four, you've Perfect. had four good ones so far. I've had four. Okay, cool. So my fifth one would be, and I said this earlier, mentorship. I think being a mentor and mentoring other people is so completely underrated. And I'll tell you, it, it, it wasn't something that I, I was able to do at Hard Rock. Hard Rock didn't have a formalized program. There's a lot of companies that don't. And it gets squirrely. It's kind of a weird thing. Do you assign mentees with mentors? Do people get to pick their own? You, you got to figure all that nuts and bolts out. And every company is going to be different. But I am a believer. And I said this earlier, you've got to have your inner circle. Let's say I need somebody who's smarter than I am in the company that I could run to to bounce ideas off of. I need somebody who's smarter than I am outside the company that has nothing to do with my industry that I could talk about. I need a peer 
who's willing to, to, you know, either cuss at me and say, this is stupid or challenge my thinking. I need, perhaps it could be a soulmate. It could be my significant other. Even one of my mentors that I talk about in the book is a mentee. I'm actually working with somebody who is in the Gen Z age. I mean, it's barely an adult, but because I need my things to resonate with that group, I spend time talking to that person. And I think I'm mentoring that person, but I actually learned so much more from him. So there's some reverse mentoring that goes on. So that fifth one is if you don't already have people that are in your camp that you that you trust and admire and respect and love that core four five and I really do believe you could get to that number. You you need those mentors for you, but then you got to be on the hunt to try and mentor other people. It's so rewarding when you can watch somebody develop their career and, and you were the catalyst for that. I, I love that stuff. I tell you what, that's that's a that's a fab five for you, man. That that is great. Boom. That's a great list. That that that's a that's a rock out list. That's boom. boom. I like it. I'm, I'm like, that's it right there. There you go. And this brings you said me to, we were going to be rocking out today. I told you we was. And that brings me to my final timeout. And for the final timeout, teammates, listen up. Number one, if you're building that team, the most important part, you heard it, is the person. And guess what that person is? That's you. You are the most important piece to whatever puzzle you're putting together. And you can make that thing go or you can stop it. You just have to make the choice that you want to be that change agent. You want to infect that culture. Most of all, the culture that you breed and that you have, you have an effect on. And are you going to be willing to make the changes to get the culture that you need to get the results that you want? Because you can talk about it all day, but your actions speak so loud, I cannot hear what you're saying. So, Make the actions so we can get the results you want. Now, for all my people, if they want to get the book, they want to tune into the podcast, tell us how do we get there, man? How do we get to you? How do we get to rock out with the coaches? Oh, thank you, my friend. Uh, Yeah, the first place I would send people is to my website. It's called Night Speaker. So that's my last name, K-N-I-G-H-T speaker.com. You can pretty much get to everything there. But if you are interested in, in a book, you can go there and do it on that website and uh, I'll sign a copy to you before I ship it off. Boom. But if you want to get some through Amazon, you can do that. If you want to go get more than, you know, three, four copies, all that stuff is online on Amazon. Thoughts at Rock, though, you've got to go to a podcast platform. 85% of the people that listen to our show, it's on Apple. They pretty much own that space, but we're on like 30 different platform. So if you're interested at all, you can find it on any podcast platform. And I won't do too much selling, but you go to nightspeaker.com. We can hook you up with just about anything you want. Well, uh, listen, I mean, that brings us to a wrap this evening. Man, Jim, I want to take thank you so much. But before I let you go, I got to thank all my supporters, my Patreon supporters, the Brown family, the Aziz family, the Franklin family, the Brickhouse Barbecue um Miss Miss Claudia, just all the people who support LaShawn Cremati, Jamie Tate, all you people who support to make the podcast keep going. Your financial dividends do go right back into the show, and we thank you for all that you do. William Boston Apparel, it's just so many people who are coming up to support the Hadrico Live podcast, and y'all keep it coming. And if you are jealous and you want to be one too, don't worry, I got you. Jim, (laughs) thank you for your time tonight, sir. Anything before I let you go, anything else you want to just drop out there? I do. I do. And it's one thing, and it's really about you, my friend. I have just enjoyed, you know, the the Hadrico Live Army. You know, I I think about the things that you're doing out there, Trevor. I've just been, it's been 
aghast to watch your career grow in this particular area. I know you've got some other dreams down the road beyond what you're doing, but just from when you and I first touched base, it was probably a year ago. I've just had pure joy in my heart seeing you do the things you're doing. So keep rocking it out, my friend. I'm I'm really impressed. I'm very honored to be on your show. Well, listen, man, I'm really impressed and honored to have you here, man. You, many people don't know this young man right here has been an inspiration and a mentor for me. Somebody that I sat down with and picked his brain and said, Hey, how do I do what you do. So I'm still trying to get to where I can get to where you at, but don't worry. I'm coming. I'm coming. You're right for behind you. me. I'm scared. I, I'm a little I, bit scared. I'm coming for you now. You know, we coming for, we coming for the top spot. You know, I want to be in the top 10 one of these days. So we want to thank you for your time. And ladies and gentlemen, that's another episode of Hadrico live in the books. And we out. Rock on.